This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised. juicers i'm Alyssa, and i'm brooke and this is for god's sake don't drink the jones juice welcome back to episode 32 hey guys whoop, whoop. hey again hey we're recording these back to back so yeah we don't really have much to talk about nope I guess we're going to just get right on into the cases. Get on in it. So I am excited about this case. Um, this is another one of those out of the ordinary for me, and uh, I'm stoked about it. It is definitely wild. So hold on to your horsies, your blucifers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you and don't he, understand that, go listen to the other I was about to say, if you don't understand that, you d- obviously did not listen to our last episode. And if you did, then I don't know how you don't remember that because it's hilarious. <laughs> So, on Christmas Eve 2010, 41-year-old Lori Erica Ruff shot herself in the head in her black Chevy Tahoe while parked outside her estranged in-laws home in Longview, Texas. Oh my god, what a way to start a story. Yeah. So, Blake Ruff, Lori's husband of six years, was devastated. Lori left two suicide notes in her car. One an 11-page letter addressed to my wonderful husband and another addressed to their then two-year-old daughter to be opened on her 18th birthday. Oh, no. They were opened, though. Obviously, you don't wait until the child's 18. No, you write them right away. Yeah. And law enforcement stated that basically these letters were just simply ramblings of a crazy person, basically. That is so sad. Yeah. At least word that differently. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So in the days following her death, Blake, with the help of his family, began the heartbreaking task of sorting through his wife's belongings, including among the items was a sealed lock. I'm going to just restart that sentence over completely. (laughs) (laughs) I always do this at the beginning of my episodes. (laughs) I got to get in the groove, y'all. All right, so included among the items was a sealed lockbox. Among the items. Among. Among. Was a sealed lockbox labeled crafts hidden in Lori's closet. The grieving husband recognized the box. It was the box that Lori had warned him to always stay out of. Blake's brother-in-law, Miles Darby, popped it open with a screwdriver and discovered why Lori had ordered Blake to stay out of it. Okay, if... My, if Scotty was ever like, hey, I have this box. Don't um, ever open it. You're, you're opening it. Literally. The moment he walks out the door. it's I'm opening it with a crowbar. It's going to be open. For sure. Secret spilled. So Miles, who is Blake's brother-in-law, <clears throat> pops it open. And inside is a birth certificate and several different IDs. Ooh. Ooh, ooh. Blake's wife and the mother of his child was not who she claimed to be. Ruh-roh. The woman he and his family knew as Lori was someone else entirely. Oh my God, what a shock. She was an accomplished identity thief and had created a new identity two decades earlier. Oh my God. Imagine. 
and I can't imagine <laughs> I cannot like first of all I'm too much of an FBI agent to let that get away with like what you're a completely different person like no I feel like that's not happening most people could probably catch on to that yeah I mean especially two decades of hiding something like I understand like six months or like you know sometimes you don't catch on to things but two decades of being a completely different person that's right. insane well i guess in those two decades you've probably had a lot of time to like Trust. create this character well, yeah. and mm-hmm. yeah there better be a juicy reason why this shit is bonkers <laughs> it, it literally blows my mind so anyway the tall slender dark-haired Lori met her husband blake who was an easygoing wealthy texas native at the northwest bible church in dallas in 2003 I feel like a lot of stories take place in, in Texas. Texas. Yes. There's just like a lot of crazy people out there. Texas so big. Go big <laughs> or go home, I guess. The two quickly hit it off and they fell in love. Blake was described as laid back and trustworthy to a fault. Which clearly. is probably why he didn't go through that box. Cause God, somebody tells me don't go through this box. I'm going through the box. <laughs> also, it's like, I'm sure if she would have never said anything about the box. He probably would have never thought about the box. Yeah. It but says crafts. That was like... <laughs> These are my crafts. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you ask him now what attracted him to Lori, um, basically he's just kind of like she was pretty and like just doesn't really have a whole lot to say. Oh, okay. So in life, Lori was always a very private person. So private, in fact, that it concerned her in-laws, but not so much Blake. Nancy said, Nancy, who was uh, Blake's mother, said that Lori would obsessively track the Ruffs' family history and try to find out their family secret recipes, but she refused to talk about her own past. Huh. During a lunch date, Blake's mom, Nancy, being the warm Southern Texas woman she was, asked Lori about her childhood. Lori didn't have much to offer. She was from Arizona, her parents were dead, and she had no siblings, she said. It seemed every time Nancy asked a question, Lori deflected. Blake to- Blake took Lori's stories of having a rough childhood as an only child and her having no living family at face value. Some might say that he was just easily persuaded. When the two married, Nancy wanted to put an announcement out in the paper. The secret of Lori refused. So the two eloped and only the preacher was in attendance at the small ceremony. Huh. That's a red flag right there. Yeah. Actually, literally everything you've said is yeah. a huge red flag. Yeah. So the Ruff family's suspens- uh, suspicions never really fizzled out. Blake and Lori moved to Leonard, Texas, which is a tiny town with a population of about 2,000. Neighbors commented that while Blake was friendly, Lori wouldn't make eye contact and never wanted to socialize. Blake <laughs> right. Blake recalled that Lori took medication for either ADHD or Tourette's. Oh, Another wait, wait, weird yeah. like you don't know which, which one? one? <laughs> like do you know this person at all? Literally. At all. Like what is going through your head? <sighs> I don't know what's wrong with him. I mean, I guess literally they like, they just describe him as like just trustworthy and just chill and like <laughs> She's go like, with the flow. These medicines are for ADHD or Tourette's and he's like, "Okay." Oh, okay. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Okay, cool. Whichever one, that's fine. It's it's weird. It's it's weird, but whatever. Also, like, I know some really private people. Yeah. Brooke's a private person, but I know more private people than Brooke. Mm-hmm. And even still <clears throat> then, 
I know details about their, their lives. Because even yeah. the most private people say things. Yeah. 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 I mean, and it to me, it'd be one thing if it was like everything came out that she said was lies. But like, I feel like it makes it look even more obvious that you're hiding something when it's not lies. It's just absolute deflection and... I don't want to talk about it. Like you refuse any That's information. Super whatsoever. suspicious. It's very that would make me very concerned. Yeah. So, um, where was I? So Lori took a job as a mystery shopper, which basically involves anonymously visiting businesses to check out that their standards are being met. Where can I sign up? You don't know about mystery shopping? I do, but oh, I want to do know. it. So basically, um, these people are posed as a customer, but in fact, they're just kind of watching to see how things are run and reporting back to the company. Do they, are those the ones that like catch shoplifters too and whatnot? I don't know. I, I think it's more just kind of watching to see how like employees, you know, communicate with their customers and that or how they're thing. being treated. Or I whatever. think so. I could be wrong. I know that they do have those though. And I'm pretty oh, yeah. sure like one time I went. Like and- they're actually security. Yeah, and it's yeah. like they looked like they'll go to like the makeup section and they'll yeah. just kind of pretend to be shopping and yeah. um, they just kind of watch you to make sure you're not stealing anything. Yeah. And I remember one time I went in there, I wasn't going to steal anything, <laughs> but I was um, I was just looking and this one woman, she was just kind of like browsing down the aisles, just kind of looking for, she was looking at all kinds of different stuff. And yeah. you know, typically when you go and you buy some makeup, you, you know like, what you're looking for. Yeah. And you, you kind of know, like maybe you don't know the brand, but you know what you're looking for. But she and she just kept like kind of looking at me. So either it was like sex trafficking or she was a mystery <laughs> shopper. But I want to say she was a mystery shopper because she didn't buy anything. Yeah. She was just watching you. Yeah. She just kind of followed me down the aisles and like she would, I don't, it was That's weird. weird. <laughs> that is very weird. So um, Blake had a bachelor's degree in economics from the University of Texas in Austin. And he had um, a degree in telecom management from DeVry. And he worked for Verizon. Lori had always wanted to be a mom. She had several miscarriages. But finally, Lori and Blake conceived, uh, con- conceived via in vitro fertilization and in 2008 their daughter was born lori was extremely protective of the little girl she refused to let her in-laws even hold her daughter or be alone in the same room with her my goodness very suspicious well i don't really maybe just i mean like we already know she's weird yeah and my thought would be more like she's not giving us any information about her childhood so maybe something really traumatic happened to her and and she's she's just just overprotective of her daughter yeah but as grandparents you're gonna be like look like i want to see my grandbaby yeah so um as time went on the odd situation between Lori and her in-laws did not improve Uh, She complained about her in-laws to Blake constantly and decided that she didn't even want her in-laws to see the baby. And this caused a large amount of tension between her and Blake. I would assume so. Blake came from a warm Southern family. You know, you have get togethers, you're close with your family. You hug, you kiss everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And he's with this woman who's strange and, you know, has no family and doesn't want her kid around these people. And he's just like, what? (laughs) So at family visits, it wasn't um, unusual for Lori to just, like, disappear and go take a long nap. What? Yeah. 
Okay. And when the women of the family gathered together in the kitchen, like to chit chat and cook, like I feel like that's pretty common, like in Southern, you know. Definitely. uh, Lori was nowhere to be found. She didn't want anything to do with it. The kitchen's where the heart is. I feel like I would be like, this lady is weird. Yeah, (laughs) I would. Blake, what is you doing? (laughs) Why her? (laughs) So um, Blake was a family man. Like I said, he came from a close knit family. So this was difficult for him and it drove a wedge between him and his wife. Right. So eventually, Blake. Blake had enough of Lori's secretiveness. And How old was she at this time? Do you know? So when she killed herself, she was 41. And they uh, went through their issues shortly before this. So okay. she's probably 39, 40. Okay. So um, anyway, yeah, he grew tired of her secretiveness, her dislike of his parents and her mental instability. And he filed for a divorce. Oh, man. He moved back to Longview, Texas with his parents, and he left his daughter with Lori. Blake arranged for the couple to meet with a pastor for marriage counseling, but because Lori was so standoffish and refused to disclose anything about her life, counseling was a failed attempt at saving the marriage. You kind of have to talk for counseling to work. (laughs) It's not a one-person deal here. If you want to save a marriage, you both have to be willing to work at it. One of you can't sit there and talk, and the other one just stare at the wall. It doesn't work that way. So... Lori began sending threatening emails to the roughs, and she seemed to be m- unstable. Okay, off topic, but do you have tissues over there? I do not. Okay, well, then I'll just suffer. <laughs> so she made custody exchanges difficult with Blake, and Lori's neighbors would later report that she and her daughter were looking unusually thin around this time. Uh-oh. One day, the erratic Lori tried to steal the roughs' house keys. So the concerned family filed a cease and desist order. It wasn't long after that Blake's father went to check the mailbox and spotted Lori dead in her car. Oh my God, what a sight. Yeah. So it was after her death that several members of the Ruff family would enter Lori's home with Blake, trying to gather more information about her and an- or about her and answer questions that had plagued them for years. Lori's secretive craft box revealed that Lori Erica Ruff was not Lori's real name. In fact, her name before the marriage had been Becky Sue Turner. Just wait, it gets worse. (laughs) Okay. This was equally bizarre because that name, Becky Sue Turner, was the name of a two-year-old girl who had died along with her siblings in a house fire in 1971. Oh my God. The Ruffs found several strange items in Lori's house, including an obituary for Becky Sue Turner. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) The home was filthy. Piles of dirty dishes, laundry, and trash were stacked up around the house. There were shredded documents and papers with incoherent scribblings on them everywhere. It seemed as if Lori had completely lost it after the separation. So it would take six years before the true identity of Lori Ruff would be revealed. Wow, six whole six years. years. Imagine you've been married to this woman for how long? Like almost a decade? Yeah. And then it takes another six years after her death before you have any idea who she is. Can you mm. imagine how agonizing that would be? No, and you would think that they could just take a DNA sample, right? Yeah. Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> 
So her death became front page news for internet sites focusing on unsolved mysteries, missing and identified persons, and for, you know, those amateur online detectives. Mm -hmm. There was no indication that Lori had changed her identity. Her (laughs) There was no indication that Lori had changed her identity for any financial gain. So why did she do it? Had Lori changed her identity to escape a cult, maybe, or an abusive relationship? Was she a criminal? The criminal theory didn't pan out, as her fingerprints were never found in any database. Wow. Now, I'm sure you're all wondering, why the hell did she do this? Yes, I am eagerly My mind was going everywhere (laughs) when I was learning about this story. Yeah. So her case attracted the attention of former Social Security Administration investigator Joe Velling. Velling used every tool he had, but turned up nothing of importance. This was very unusual for him. He was like a master at this shit. He did learn that Lori had a mail drop box in Boulder City, Nevada, which forwarded her mail to Dallas. Huh? Mm -hmm. So she had a mail drop in Boulder City, Nevada, and it forwarded her mail to her home in Dallas. She didn't show up in any fingerprint and facial recognition databases, and Becky Sue Turner's family didn't know anything about her. Huh. She had breast implants and a nose job. (laughs) It's all sounding weird, huh? Yes, it is. So with the support of the Roth family, Velling turned to a reporter he knew at the Seattle Times in 2013, hoping that more publicity to the case would provide answers. Surely somebody would recognize her from years ago. The story, which ran on the front page and later in publications all around the world, captured the online imagination. People compared photos of missing women with Lori and came up with plenty of their own assumptions, none being correct. Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. What do you mean? Sounds like um, mostly uh, harmless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So theories speculated that Lori was born into a cult and had escaped. Uh, maybe that she was kidnapped and released by her captors. Maybe she was an abused child or an abused spouse. And even that she was a criminal. Um, some said that she was previously a man. She was a tall woman at five foot ten. Um, others said maybe she was running away from financial problems. But she wasn't coming up in any database. And would she come up if she had, you know, like, like to me it kind of sounds like uh like i guess wherever she was born like it was never documented right right yeah so finally in 2016 a breakthrough a california scientist by the name of colleen fitzpatrick called velling with a theory Lori ruff came from a family named the cassidy's when fitzgerald read the story about Lori, she immediately thought about dna Ding, ding. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) Just like you said. Their daughter, of course, would share Lori's DNA. If, I'm sorry, I have fucked up right here. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. No, I haven't. Okay. So Blake and Lori's daughter, of course, would share Lori's DNA, right? So if their daughter provided a DNA sample, um, then there was a way to subtract blake's dna from the daughters leaving what was essentially just Lori's. right okay so the rough family sent a saliva sample to 23andme and ancestry.com which fitzgerald checked into right from the little girl 
Fitzgerald found a number of people whose DNA matched up with Lori's, but most of them were distant cousins. Um, they would, wouldn't be of any help in identifying Lori. Fitzper- Fitzpatrick and Belling were at a dead end. And I get that because like I have ancestry and I have, I've taken the ancestry test and I've taken 23 in me and like, yeah, like I have like 30th cousins on there. Like nobody wouldn't know who the hell I am. Right. Probably after like a third cousin, they wouldn't know who I am. You right. know what I mean? So like, yeah, I can see you'd be at a dead end if there's nobody closely related. Right. What do you do? You know? So um, Fitzgerald periodically checked back with this uh, within with the sites while working with other I, oh my god i'm sucking tonight i'm so sorry so she um checked back in with the sites and worked other angles when they popped up she now says that she spent spent hundreds of hours on this there were some clues pointing to the pennsylvania area a few years later a man came up as a first cousin Ooh, finally we got some kind of lead right his name was michael cassidy and he was from the philadelphia area she guessed from the family tree that Lori's mother was almost certainly one of Michael's aunts. Yeah. But which one? And what was Lori's real name? There was no way to know. Right. You know, we've got a family member, but we got to get in touch with him, right? So Velling, the investigator, decided to skip over Michael Cassidy and try to find someone closer. Because, like, really, you know, yeah. what can we really do with Michael here? So he hops on Velling, the investigator investigator hops on a plane to philadelphia to knock on the door of a member of the cassidy family Uh he had no idea what he was walking into he didn't even know the missing woman's name yeah right so you're like how do you go about that (laughs) so the roughs had provided him some photos and he began laying them out on the table of these family members Mm -hmm. my god the family member said that's kimberly velling's hair stood up on the back of his neck they had a match wow so here we are we are gonna find out why Lori ruff did what she did and who Lori ruff is i'm dying <laughs> i know so kimberly mclean had left home at only 17 years old and never came back her mother was michael cassidy's aunt deanne and deanne was married to james mclean to Deanne, who was now 80 years old, the news was crushing. She had last seen her daughter 30 years ago, and now she learns that she's, she's dead. dead. Wow. Yeah. Grief-stricken, Di- uh, Deanne refused to speak about Kimberly and referred uh, her brother, Tom Cassidy, to answer any questions. He was able to provide some additional information. Deanne just, I, I thought that was kind of sad. Like, I would want to talk about my daughter, you know. But. Did they not file, like, a missing person I know, report? isn't that so weird? Like, I, how people can just, like, vanish. If and, my child disappeared, whether on their own volition or whatever, yeah. I would still file a missing persons report. For sure, yeah. I mean, she was still a kid. Yeah. So, this is all information from Tom, who would okay. be Kimberly's uncle. Kimberly was born on October 16th, 1968, and she grew up in the Philadelphia suburbs along with a sister. She had a seemingly normal childhood. Deanne was a stay-at-home mom. Kimberly's dad was a carpenter and a volunteer firefighter. The family went on vacations and day trips and had family dinners every night. Trouble started for Kimberly when her parents divorced. 
Deanne met a man named Robert Becker, remarried, and moved the girls to Wincote, Pennsylvania, where Kimberly attended Bishop McDevitt High School. Kimberly was insanely upset about the remarriage and didn't care for her new stepfather. When she was 17 in 1986, she moved about a half about a half hour away, and then one day she told her mom she was leaving for good and said, "Don't come after me." The family never heard from her again. Wow. They tried everything they could think of, but Kimberly had ensured that they would never find her by changing her name not once, but twice. Wow. So Lori Ruff wasn't an escaped cult member. She wasn't a spy or a criminal. She was just a pissed off teenage runaway (laughs) who decided she didn't want to live with her mother and new stepfather. Dude, the fucking just like pettiness of it all. Literally, like... (laughs) You're just pissed off that your mom got remarried, so you just disappear from your family. Like, like fuck you, mom. There's obviously, like, something going on there, though, like, mentally, to be yeah. able to do something like that. Or, I mean, if she really hated her stepfather so much, and she was scared for her daughter to be held by other people or watched by other people. Maybe, maybe something happened. been a good man, yeah. that's yeah, uh, You don't know, you know. Yeah. So, Kimberly McLean had stolen the identity identity of the deceased two-year-old Becky Sue Turner in May of 1988 at the age of 19, and she used the child's birth certificate to obtain an Idaho state identification card. She then moved to Texas and had her name changed legally to Lori Erica Kennedy. Around this time, she worked as an exotic dancer. She gradually acquired more documents in her name, including a social security number, a driver's license, a GED, and a college degree. Isn't that crazy? Yep. She also took her birth date of July 18th, 1969. She made herself about nine months younger than she actually was. Right. Following her marriage to Blake in 2004, she became Lori Erica Ruff. So basically, Lori wasn't so much as an identity identity why am i having a hard word time with that word (laughs) (laughs) she wasn't so much of an identity thief as she was like a ghoster she just kind of abandoned her old identity and jumped into a new one um whereas you know we think of an identity thief as someone that like steals credit cards for financial gain and that kind of thing um but i mean what she did was a crime you Mm -hmm. know You, you can't do that no um, I think in today's time, like a feat like that would be nearly impossible to pull so off. Too. Yeah. You know, yeah, you can disappear, but like going through all that legally and actually like making it happen, like on a legal level, like no, you couldn't. Yeah, Mm-mm. and the internet tells all. You know what I mean? Literally. So um, now, like police can cross check birth certificates and death certificates. And, mm-hmm. um, but you know, thirty years ago when she was doing this, you didn't need backup documents to apply for a social security number or a driver's license. You just kind of went in and said, "Hey, this is who I am, you know? <laughs> and this is what I need." Yeah, I think that's crazy that she was able to take that birth certificate of that two-year-old girl because, like, birth mm-hmm. certificates have a birth date on it, right? And she was not two. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. weird. So. I wonder, like, how many people did this back in the day? Like, it just seemed too easy. Um, yeah, I'm scared. Makes you wonder, right? <laughs> like, if yeah. some people we don't know, like, are somebody complete, or some people we know aren't the people we think yeah, like, they think are. Yeah, like, think of, like, the most private person you know, yeah. and then think, like, 
what if there's somebody else? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in closing, Lori Ruff's name has now been removed from the database for the missing and identified persons. And that's wow. it. Dang. Makes you think. It kind of makes me sad that there wasn't a better reason why she did that dude though. literally you're just a brat you're just a brat yes yeah. for sure <laughs> <laughs> just a chi- an angry child that yeah. can't just like cope and deal with her mom getting remarried so you ruin your, your identity yeah. and just wow I literally can't well, I mean, believe clearly, that. like I said, there. I think there was something mentally going on because, I mean, she did kill herself. At, maybe all the secrets were just too much, you know, for her to handle. And then that when her marriage fell apart, you know. Like, have you ever, um, like, any time in your life, like, kind of told somebody a lie and you're like, they'll never. And it's it's a harmless lie, but it's just kind of like to get out of something or right. whatever. And then have to, like, run with it. Literally, and it and you just alive. keeps on and you keep on and it's like, oh, my God, when is this shit going to stop? I really haven't, but <clears throat> I mean, that I can think of, you know, but I'm sure that is a heavy burden to carry for people that do that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, so. I promise my identity is my identity. <laughs> In case you were I thought wondering. that was a wild story. I know it's not like scary or gory, but I just thought it was. It's crazy. Yeah, like, totally crazy. Wow. And it leaves you the whole time thinking like, why? Who is she? Who is she? Who is she? I was so <laughs> ready to know. And then you're just like, and she was just a fucking rat that like <laughs> couldn't handle her mom's remarriage. Yeah. So whatever. So that's it. Well, since mine is also really short, do you just want to go ahead and get through all of this before we take a break or whatever? Yeah, that's fine. Are you I, sure? You don't want to, um, you just want to pull it. We don't have an ad or anything, so I just figured we could just. We're not going to put Ashton's ad in this one? No, she wants it. Uh, of like, weeks apart? Like three weeks. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, then, yeah, go for it. Okay. So, actually, my story today was recommended by Ashton. Cool. And I had never heard of it until she kind of like, (laughs) I think she sent me a TikTok about it. And Ashton, I'm sorry, I didn't actually watch it. But she was like, you need to look this dude up. And I was like, okay. And I was kind of struggling for my second story on like what to actually do. So I did research this dude and oh my God, prepare for the insanity, dude. It is, I do just, just wait. So I am covering, as you can tell from the title, The Russian Doll Man. That sounds familiar. Okay, so I got my sources from Wikipedia, Daily Mail, and JustKillingTime.org. Hmm. So, okay, our story begins with a man named um, Anatoly Moskvin, and he was a Russian linguist philologist and historian from okay these are there's gonna be some russian words in here i do not know nothing about any of this so just um if i'm pronouncing it wrong i do apologize but he was from nizini novgorod okay okay so in 2011 he was arrested after police found 26 mummified bodies of young girls between the ages of 3 and 25 in his apartment. Ooh. 26. Ew. Ew. 20 How do you have 26 six. bodies in your home? Liter- and he lived with his parents also. What? Yeah. 
So Moskvin would exhume the bodies, dress them up, and pose them around his home. Um, and the way that he did this, like his parents legit thought that they were dolls. Wow. They were like, you know, it's an interesting hobby, but harmless. Yeah, my grown so. man child has an obsession with dolls. It's weird, but it's harmless. Okay. I guess. <laughs> I feel like if a man does that, it's probably not just harmless, but that's just my opinion. So the weird thing about this is that Moskvin was an extremely intelligent man. I feel like a lot of times they are. So he was a former lecturer in Celtic studies and previ- previously worked at the Institute of Foreign Languages. Um, as I said before, he is a philologist, linguist, and a polyglot, which I did not know what that was. Do you know what that is? Uh-uh. It's basically just someone who speaks many different languages. Oh, okay. Well, poly. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. And he spoke 13 different languages. Holy cow. Yeah. And he wrote several books, papers, and translations. He also occasionally worked as a journalist and regularly contributed to local newspapers and publications. Hmm. Um, He describes himself as a a necropolist and was considered an expert on local cemeteries. So. All right. Cool. (laughs) Creepy dude. Um, in 2005, a fellow academic and publisher commissioned Moskvin to summarize and list the dead in more than 700 cemeteries in 40 regions of the Nizhny Novgorod Oblast, whatever that is. Sounds good. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so Moskvin claimed that between 2005 and 2007, that he traveled on foot to inspect 752 cemeteries across that region. Wow. Walking up to 18.6 miles per day. Wow. He drank from puddles, spent nights in haystacks and at abandoned farms, and slept in cemeteries. He even slept in a coffin. Ew. That was being prepared for a funeral. Wow. Like, okay. <laughs> Okay, so how would you feel if like your loved one died and there's their coffins like I guess in the cemetery being prepared for their funeral and then you find out that like Some they're not gonna be the first person ew. in this coffin. Ew. It's just and it was like an alive person, not yeah. a dead person. It's so weird. Yeah. It's ew. kind of disrespectful, I think. For sure. So during these explorations of his, um, Police questioned Moskvin on the suspicion of vandalism and theft, but he was never arrested for any of the accusations due to his academic background and credentials. Hmm. And like, you know, he told him why he he told them why he was in the cemeteries. You know, he's yeah doing this thing for someone about cemeteries. And they were like, cool, cool, you know, yeah. cool. I'm glad for you. Totally normal. But the work for all of that was never published. So. It's kind of just a waste of time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not. Because, um, so on November 2nd, 2011, police investigated a trend in grave desecrations. 26 of these missing bodies were found in Moskvin's home. Mm. There's a police body cam video on YouTube of police walking through his apartment, and you can see gross like all the bodies what in his apartment 
and mom and dad are like sitting on the couch with the dead the people dead people yeah <laughs> literally dude literally That's so disgusting and i'm gonna probably share that video to our okay facebook but um like the first few minutes of it is just like a officer speaking russian mm-hmm. so like when you do see it just kind of fast forward to where you start seeing the body cam video but it's it's creepy because literally there's so many just like sitting on the couch propped up on shelves just and his house is he's like a hoarder like it's so disgusting in his apartment and then there's all these dead bodies everywhere that is sick yeah so um although only 26 bodies were found in his home only 26 (laughs) it's only because of what i'm about to tell you next it's estimated that moskvin desecrated more than 150 graves oh my god literally and where are those people (laughs) yuck Uh, police had found numerous graves with the name plates taken off they also found instructions for the making of a dolls map of cemeteries in the region along with the collection of photographs and videos of open graves and disinterred bodies Mm. None of this evidence could be conclusively connected with any of the bodies in his apartment. So that just goes to show that... There's a lot more. Yes. Holy shit. So Moskvin cooperated with investigators and claimed that he had been making the dolls over the course of 10 years. Mm. 10 years making these fucking dolls. Gross. He was charged for the desecration of graves and dead bodies, which could carry out a sentence of five years in prison. He was also accused of having defaced the graves of Muslims, which is considered a hate crime. Mm. But this charge was dropped for whatever reason. Mm. Um, A psychiatric evaluation determined that Moskvin suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. I can see it. Um, He was deemed unfit to stand trial which released him from his criminal liability. What? So instead, he was sentenced to coercive medical measures, and he's, like, in a psychiatric ward. Wow. Yeah. Um, Moskvin said in an interview that he felt great sympathy for the dead children and thought that he could bring them back to life by either science or black magic. Because he was very into the occult. Like, super into the occult. I gotta see this guy. He... mm, don't even (laughs) you don't want to see him oh god um so because he was an expert in celtic culture he learned that ancient druids used to sleep on graves in order to communicate with spirits of their dead he also studied the culture of the people of siberia and discovered that they had a similar practice for communicating with their dead so that's like what he did he like took these practices and (sighs) made them his own i guess Wow. So he would read obituaries and whatever one like spoke to him, Mm -hmm. he would lay on their grave in order to determine whether or not that child wished to be brought back to life. Wow. He claims that he had been doing this for 20 years. Oh my God. But that he never dug up a grave without the permission of the child. Oh, okay. (laughs) He had permission to do this. Yeah, it's totally fine. (laughs) As he grew older, it hurt his body to sleep on graves. <laughs> so he began bringing them back to his home where it would be more comfortable comfortable to sleep. 
He hoped that the spirits would be more willing to communicate in that environment and that it would be easier to hear them if they weren't underground. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of soil being on top of a Yeah, it makes it kind of yeah. muffled so you can't really hear them that well. So he doesn't really know, I guess, really if they wanted to be dug up or not because he kind of had a hard time hearing them. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a smart idea. Mm. <laughs> oh, God. So after digging up the bodies, Moskvin would research mummification theories and techniques in order to preserve them. He dried the bodies with a combination of salt and baking soda, and then he would put them in secure, dry places in and around cemeteries until the bodies dried. He then carried the bodies to his home. And nobody he- ever saw these bodies just sitting out? <clears throat> I... I don't know. <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> I guess not. People don't visit their loved ones in cemeteries in Russia or what? Like, um, He would, know. I mean, he put them in secure dry places. So I assume like in little hidey places. Yeah, that's weird. But why not just take them back to your house and let them dry? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, did people not see graves dug up and think, oh, this is weird? I think he would uh, fill them back in. I don't know. Oh <laughs> because I'm going to tell you a story of a girl or of a family who um, he stole one of their their daughter mm-hmm. and they had been going to her grave for like a decade and, and never knew. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay, so after the bodies would dry, he would carry them back to his home where he used various methods to turn them into dolls in an attempt to give them functional bodies to be used when he eventually found a way to bring them back to life. Wacko. So, obviously, (laughs) he wasn't really able to, um, you know, stop, like, the the withering and shrinking of the bodies as they dried. Mm -hmm. So, he would wrap their limbs in strips of cloth and stuff the body cavity with rags and padding. (sighs) He would add wax. He would add wax masks that he decorated with nail polish and then dressed them in clothing and wigs. He even put music boxes in the rib cages what? of some of the bodies so that they were like interactive. Oh. Yeah. Um, some of them had buttons or toys in their eye sockets. Wow. All of this made the bodies look like homemade dolls, which is how no one ever suspected that they were actual human bodies. Oh my goodness. Moskvin was aware that what he was doing was a crime, but he felt like the children were calling out to be rescued, and he believed that rescuing the children was more important than obeying the law. He also did this because he had always wanted a daughter. Oh. So, like, <laughs> go make a daughter. <laughs> don't, Gross. don't actually make one out That's of a, so disturbing. A, someone else's dead daughter. Like, mm-hmm. you have the tool. <laughs> To a child. Yeah, I'm, probably not a whole lot of women would be interested in the fucking wacko. Yeah, I don't know about that because <laughs> during court, literally during oh, no. his trial, he meets a woman. No. And that's his girlfriend now. Ew. Like, I'm just saying, like, if you, if that's what you're into, you probably need to be where he's at because no way do I feel sympathy for this man. Mm-hmm. Um, he denied any type of sexual desire towards these dolls and viewed them more like his children. That's very nice. (laughs) 
He's spoken, sang to them, watched TV with them, and even held birthday parties for them and celebrated holidays with them. (laughs) Moskvin claims that his obsession started when he was a little kid and was attending the funeral of a little girl. The mother of the little girl forced his face close to her daughter's body and literally forced him to kiss her. What? Like over and over and over again. What? Yeah. That's weird. That's very weird. Like very weird. And that's what started it. Yeah. Like that's what started his fascination with death and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So the worst part of this, aside from, you know, stealing bodies and making them into dolls is that he taunted the families of the children that he dug up. No. One of the girls was a 10-year-old named Olga Shardimova. She was murdered after her mother let her walk to her grandmother's house alone. Hmm. Unfortunately, a block away from her house, a drug dealer stole her earrings, and when she tried to escape, he hit her over the head with a metal bar. Hmm. She was um, buried in 2002, and 10 years later, she found that her daughter's grave was empty. Wow. Olga's mom, Natalie, said, You can't begin to imagine it, that somebody would touch the grave of your child, the most holy place in this world for you. We had been visiting the grave of our child for nine years, and we had no idea that it was empty. Instead, she was in this beast's apartment. Oof. Like, that is so sad. It's like, so traumatizing all over again. Yeah. Natalie and her husband, Igor, took very good care of their daughter's gravesite. They would paint fences around it and lay wreaths out for her. During this time, they would find anonymous notes that addressed Olga as if she was still alive. The person leaving the notes would celebrate her birthdays, congratulated her on whichever school year would have been coming up that year if she was still alive. That's like some watcher house shit. Yeah. Soft toys and seasonal decorations were being left to, and Natalie and Igor had no idea who was doing it. In his notes, Moskvin began threatening the parents. No. He wrote, if you don't erect a great monument, which she deserves, we will dig her body out. And so her parents erected a headstone the very next day. Wow. Moskvin took an axe to it. No, he didn't. What the fuck? He's psycho. Wow. If you haven't already noticed. Yeah. <laughs> so after Moskvin's arrest, the police had her grave opened. The coffin was mostly intact, aside from a hole that was used to shimmy her body out of it. Natalie said, my girl had been murdered. If anyone deserved to rest in peace, she did. But instead, her grave had been robbed. Mm. Olga is now buried in an unmarked grave where her parents hope that she can finally rest in peace. Yeah. Also, while in court, Moskvin would make remarks towards the family of his victims, saying things like, You abandoned your girls out in the cold, and I brought them home and warmed them up. Wow. Like, Yuck. you sick fuck. Yeah. Like, no, what you did was really bad. <laughs> so, thankfully, he's still in psychiatric care. And from what I've read, they do a review on him every so often. And each time, it seems that his mental state just kind of deteriorates further. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, he's never a free man. Yeah, I sure hope not. At one point, they were like, nah, he's he's fully healed. He's... They said that? Yeah, they were like, he needs to be released and, you know, have treatment at home. Oh, no. And 
all of the victim's parents yeah. were just outraged and they were like, no, yeah, like, no, like he's going to keep doing this. Yeah. And so like, I guess they reviewed him again and they were like, actually, like he's kind of worse. <laughs> so I don't know. Our if- mistake. <laughs> <laughs> my bad so i don't know if they were just trying to get rid of him or like what was happening but yeah no he needed to be there for forever and that was like in 2019 wow so i don't and he's like 52 uh, so he i mean he stands a great risk of reoffending. yeah or you know just being let out because he's not that old i guess i don't know yeah but yeah that's the russian doll man that's nuts dude it's disgusting. Yeah, it and is. I could not believe what I was fucking. Had you ever heard of that? <laughs> I think I saw it. it. Might have been a TikTok or something, but yeah. I, I didn't know the story. Dude, well, cannot even. Uh, I would be mortified also if I was his parents because, oh, uh, like you yeah. lived in that house for that long with all these dead bodies and you did not know. Ew. And don't you think there would kind of be a smell or something? Would there I mean, be? I guess not after they've been embalmed and stuff. Really. I don't, maybe not. I, I don't know. I don't, because they don't have like blood and stuff to smell. But they still have like skin. Organs and uh, I don't know. I don't know. But they, they, um, they did say that they were unaware of, you know, how many dolls still had like, like remains inside of them. So I don't know. You guys don't ever do that. <laughs> don't do it. Don't fake your identity. Yeah. Don't fake your identity. Just be honest. Don't grab, don't grab raves. Don't rob don't graves. <laughs> um, so I guess that's it, guys. This was a short episode. We're at 48 minutes right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, if you want to join our Facebook group, you can do that at For God's Sake, Don't Drink the Jones Juice. Follow our TikTok and Instagram. We have not made a TikTok in forever, right? No, we haven't. We need to do that eventually. Um, but you can follow those at Don't Drink the Jones Juice. Uh, send in your your own personal paranormal slash true crime experiences to our email at don't drink the Jones juice at gmail.com. We already have some in our inbox, so we just need a couple more in order to do another listener juice episode. So send those in. I know a lot of you are really looking forward to the next one. Yes. I've already seen stuff in the group. I have too. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, buy our merch at Cupid Slave. Or storefrontier.com slash don't drink the Jones juice. Mm-hmm. Is that it? That's all, folks. <laughs> That's all. Mm-hmm. All right. For God's sake, don't drink the Jones juice. <laughs>